You are listening to Serve, Protect, Lead, a podcast from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, where you will hear from ICP leadership and police leaders across the globe, sharing wisdom, insight, and perspective. Welcome to part one of a two-part conversation inside the congregation Beth Israel hostage-taking, a discussion with Chief Michael Miller of the Colleyville, Texas Police Department and Special Agent in Charge of the FBI's Dallas Field Office, Matthew DeSarno. I will be your host today. I'm Vincent Tolucci, IACP's Executive Director and Chief Executive Officer. On January 15, 2022, an individual armed with a pistol took four people hostage at the Congregation Beth Israel Synagogue in Colleyville, Texas during a Sabbath service. The Colleyville Police Department first received a 911 call and an officer responded to the scene minutes later. The Colleyville Police Department was later assisted by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Texas Department of Public Safety, and many other neighboring jurisdictions. Ultimately, more than 200 local, state, and federal law enforcement officers and agents responded to the scene, including a team of FBI assets. After an 11-hour incident, the hostages were able to safely escape thanks to the bravery of the rabbi who threw a chair at the gunman, allowing the hostages time to escape, and due to the quick and well-coordinated work of the responding law enforcement agencies. I'm honored to be joined today by two leaders who successfully managed this crisis, Chief Michael Miller of the Colleyville, Texas Police Department, and Special Agent in Charge of the FBI's Dallas Field Office, Matthew DeSarno. Welcome, Chief Miller and SAC DeSarno. Thank you for your time and for your willingness to share your experiences, perspectives, and lessons learned. Let's dive in. Chief Miller, I want to begin with, what steps did your agency take that helped to prepare for an incident such as this? First off, thanks, uh, Mr. Tillucci and IACP and SAC DeSarno for uh, taking the time to talk about this important topic. Um, to answer your question, I would say that I'd love to sit here and say that we had a, a plan, that we had prepared for this very scenario, and that we uh, just took that plan out when the call came in and executed it perfectly. Um, but to be honest, uh, having a terrorist attack, uh, our synagogue take hostages and, um, and request uh, the release of Lady Al-Qaeda was actually pretty far down on the list of things that could possibly happen in Colleyville. Let me give you a little bit of context about Colleyville. It's a suburban residential community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of about 27,000 people. Um, we consistently are recognized as one of the safest cities in Texas. And so um, I think the answer to your question kind of boils down to two things, essentially. Those are partnerships or relationships and, and training. And I'll touch on both of those. And first, partnerships and relationships piece. Uh, we had worked, uh, and, and all of this preparation started years ago. So we worked to build relationships with a faith-based community in our city. Uh, our mayor has presided over a, uh, an organization called the Ministerial Alliance, where we bring all of the, uh, the faith leaders uh, together on a regular basis. We get to know each other. Um, they get updates from the city. And we built those relationships. That's how I first got to know Rabbi Charlie, um, and that's how I got to know most of our faith leaders uh, in the community. And we have continued to build on those relationships over the years. Um, but we also have relationships with our school district, our Grapevine Colleyville Independent School District. We ended up using one of their schools as a command post. 
And then law enforcement at all levels, uh, obviously building those relationships with the agencies that we work with at both the local and state, and I guess also uh, local, state, and federal levels uh, was super important in this case. Um, and then we'll touch on training just a little bit. Um, you know, our officers uh, are known for getting lots of training here in our agency. Um, we have to focus on training because we don't have the number of critical incidents that they respond to on a daily basis. It's not enough to keep them proficient at what they need to respond to. Uh, so we're, we're always planning for cases of active shooter, emotionally disturbed uh, individuals, um, suicidal individuals, and disturbances, those kind of things. So our, our officers are prepared both from a classroom perspective and also utilizing some uh, techniques. We use simulation and in-person training uh, where we can use facilities. Some of that has been put on hold in the last couple of years just due to COVID. But we also, in 2019, purchased a virtual reality training platform that allows us to train anytime on these types of critical incidents. And so, um, you know, our, our officers maintain their proficiency through that uh, training on a regular basis. I'd like to also add that we had uh, a number of individuals on our, on our team that were instructors in uh, CRAZE, which is the Civilian Response to Active Shooter. And... Uh, and we have, we have provided that training to the Congregation Beth Israel uh, team, uh, as well as the rabbi on several occasions. And so, um, you know, we, the rabbi has publicly said that that training was critical in his uh, giving him some tools to respond uh, the way that they did and get out safely. Um, the, the last thing I would like to say is that um, it's about hiring the right people. Right, so the first officer on the scene was a two and a half year veteran officer, young young officer, uh, minimal experience, but he had the insight of a veteran officer when he uh, approached that scene. And within uh, a, a minute and 23 seconds, he recognized the gravity of the situation and got on the radio and said, we have a hostage situation here. Um, that I think uh, was critical in leading how this, this uh, operation unfolded. And, um, you know, I think hiring the right people who can make split-second decisions, think on their feet, have good intuition, and combine that with training uh, and providing the right equipment and the right relationships, I think those are the things that were in the recipe that enabled the positive outcome that we experienced on Saturday. Uh, great. Thanks, Chief. I appreciate that very much. And relationships, training, and hiring key elements um, for, for anyone listening today. So I appreciate that answer very much. Let me turn to SAC DeSarno. Um, and again, uh, thanks for being here today, sir. Now, how was the FBI notified and what resources was the FBI able to bring to the incident so that all responding agencies could quickly resolve this incident together? Thanks, Vince. Uh, appreciate you having us on. Uh, you know, and, uh, Chief Miller and I have, have done some partner calls and obviously some media stuff and, and talked about some of these issues, uh, and I think there some of them are really important to highlight. So the way we were notified, first of all, is um, we we the calls came into my organization, the FBI Dallas field office, multiple ways. Um, we were receiving it at the kind of at the supervisor level um, that quickly got to us. We have we have um, a, a vendor that alerts our ops center when there's any kind of an incident that hits social media. We received an alert that way, uh, and then we also had a uh, a retired agent who was a member of that synagogue who the synagogue had been reaching out to specifically who was calling into 
uh, his former colleague. So we were notified extremely quickly. Um, and, and, you know, one of, I think, the keys that helped to get this resolved quickly was um, almost immediately I reached out directly to our critical incident response group uh, at FBI headquarters and other FBI headquarters enti entities to start working the problem from from there, told them I would push them our requirements, you know, in short order, and that machine started turning. While that was happening, we were immediately responding with agents and analysts and victim specialists. So those agents and analysts are integrating with the local team that Chief Miller was leading that included other agencies there as well. Um, and what our victim specialists were able to do was immediately engage with the family members of the victims. Uh, and that, that, that was all occurring at the Good Shepherd Catholic Church, very close to the, to the incident scene. Uh, our critical incident response team from Dallas immediately mobilized with crisis management coordinators. And part of their role is what you were talking about is just kind of managing this whole big machine through tracking mechanisms and logistics um, work. Uh, our SWAT team immediately started moving to Colleyville. Our evidence response team was on standby uh, and prepared to engage when necessary. And our crisis negotiators were pretty quickly at the scene to take over from the dispatchers, which I'm sure at some point today we'll talk about the role, important role of dispatchers and training of dispatchers. You know, within hours, really you know, from time of notification plus six hours is when the, when the Washington-based, Quantico-based resources started rolling in that included the hostage rescue team, additional crisis negotiators, additional intelligence analysts, uh, assistance from behavioral science experts, and then additional crisis management coordinators. So we, that was all happening, you know, kind of simultaneously. Uh, and I think that the Mike and I, Chief Miller and I really were co-located throughout the incident, uh, most of the time at Colleyville PD, but then towards the resolution, we were with, with the tactical controllers and with the negotiators uh, at the end of the day. And there was, there was never any question uh, that Chief Miller and I were, um, were together running this crisis and making decisions together. And I think that sent a message throughout the org throughout everyone working the problem that, you know, this was a coordinated effort and we're gonna solve it together. Uh, thank you, SAC DeSarno. And that get back it gets back to Chief Miller's uh, point regarding partnerships. If you have to develop that partnership on scene, you're already behind the eight ball. So and I also appreciate the point regarding accessing um, and mobilizing needed resources in 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 uh, in near real time. Also, we will certainly get back to the dispatchers to negotiators point. So thank you very much, um, Chief Miller. Uh, I understand that officers were from roughly 13 different jurisdictions responded. How were you able to coordinate all those resources? Did you have existing MOUs, um, and had you trained together previously? Well, that sounds like a lot of agencies. If I break it down a little bit, it'll, it'll give you some explanation as to why we had so many. Um, so we have a shared services arrangement in our city with two other cities, with South Lake and Keller. And um, they neighbor us, and we share a dispatch center. So we're all three, uh, all of our dispatchers are in the city of Keller, and they dispatch for all three cities. Uh, and so we're all on the same channel, as a matter of fact. So any, any radio traffic that we were, um, that we were hearing, the other neighboring cities were also hearing at the same time. Um, and then we, so that, that's two other cities. And then we work, our, our SWAT team is a regional SWAT team. So we have uh, a team that combines five cities. It's us, South Lake, 
Keller Trophy Club in Roanoke. And so, um, you know, lots of these agencies that responded were part of this consortium that we work with on a daily basis. Um, and so you're asking if we have MOUs. Yes, we did have MOUs with all of these cities, with everything, every city surrounding us, we have MOUs in place. Um, but we work with these uh, core agencies on a daily basis. It's routine for us to answer each other's calls for service if somebody's busy. Um, and then the SWAT team obviously is a regional asset uh, with members from each of the agencies uh, as part of the team. We also uh, called out another SWAT team from, an, from another neighboring city, the North Richland, Richland Hills Police Department. They have a piece of equipment, a Bearcat with a boom on the end of it that um, our agency does not have, our SWAT team does not have, and that's an asset that they thought they needed that day. Uh, we have uh, trained with that team, and that asset typically deploys, that Bearcat typically deploys when our SWAT team gets called out. Just because it's a it's a uh, it's a regional asset and it's and it's it's a versatile asset. Um, we Flower Mound Police Department, our SWAT team, our regional SWAT team is the backup team for Flower Mound, so we work with them and train with them on a regular basis. Um, Fort Worth PD is right next to us as well, um, and we've done a number of things with Fort Worth PD. So again, it's about relationships. It's about knowing the knowing our neighbors, working with them frequently. Uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety um, also supported us uh, back in 2020 when we had civil unrest all around the area. We had a number of protests in our city. They were, there, were, uh, there were a number of them around uh, our neighboring cities, and we built a very strong relationship. I did personally with the regional director uh, of DPS, and he was immediately on the phone when he heard these things going on and said, hey, I'm, I'm deploying out there. He came to the Emergency Operations Center in the PD. He uh, brought a lieutenant, he brought CID resources, he bought, brought troopers, and um, they helped tremendously. Uh, regarding federal agencies, again, it's about relationships. So SAC DeSarno has had me on the Joint Terrorism Task Force Executive Board since I've been here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, through that mechanism, I've built relationships with him and his uh, assistant special agents in charge and other, other folks that work uh, terrorism-related events, uh, incidents. Um, we, uh, as you are aware, Vince, we, the Colorado Police Department also won two IACP awards this last year for investigations that, that um, also included a number of federal agencies other than the FBI. And so um, working with them on large cases, again, you just build those relationships, you get familiar with how they work, and those things played out on Saturday uh, in a big way. And so um, the, the last thing I would like to add, and, it, and it's you know, as a, as a chief of a mid-sized agency, many times we're intimidated or concerned about um, the FBI coming in. There's a perception that the FBI is going to come in and take over. And so what I witnessed that day was that there were no egos from, from the FBI to any other agency that was there. There were no turf battles uh, at all. Everybody kind of just fell into their roles. And what I witnessed as SAC DeSarno said, we were, towards the latter part of the day, we were with the negotiators. And what I witnessed were, we had very, very specialized, highly trained FBI negotiators that came in from Quantico, but they were integrated as part of that team that included the Colorado Police Department, South Lake Police Department, and the, the negotiators that were had been there from the beginning. And those guys and gals were on equal footing. Uh, they had uh, equal say in how they were approaching things. And so um, we had a debrief yesterday, a critical 
uh, incident stress debrief and the negotiators were just talking about how how they had this perspective but how they were treated so respectfully and that how the FBI came in and just seamlessly integrated into that team and that they were better because of all the different heads, uh, different perspectives thinking uh, together and working on the problem together. So I, again, I would echo partnerships and relationships were absolutely critical on Saturday. Great, thanks Chief. I'm gonna come back to that relationship dynamic um, point that you just made um, to SAC DeSarno in a bit. But I want to ask a follow-up question. Um, I appreciate the how you outline sort of the coordinated response and the preparation and the partnerships that you have in the in the area for when a response is required. Uh, but SAC DeSarno, uh, in addition to planned response in situations like this, self-deployment of officers from other jurisdictions, as well-intended as they may be, can be extremely difficult to manage. Did this present itself as a challenge? And if so, how how did you manage it? Self-deployment of law enforcement partners itself was not a challenge. Um, there was a challenge related to that that I, I will cover. But what I would say is, you know, particularly um, with Texas Department of Public Safety, DPS, you know, an outstanding world-class uh, full-service state police organization um, in a large state where we have seen critical incidents occur in smaller municipalities or out, even out in the country. Because of that, you know, I, I have a great relationship with my regional director and my counterpart SACs share that type of relationship. In fact, we meet together, the regional directors from DPS and the FBI Texas SACs meet together once a year. And our main goal is to ensure that if one of these things occurs and it's not in Houston, Dallas, Austin, or San Antonio or Fort Worth, it's in a smaller town, we know we're both going, right? It's, it's, we've got to be there. So I expected and got massive support from DPS as did as did Chief Miller expect and get that support from D Texas DPS as far as my federal partners there was really no self-deployment what what was happening was those guys are also my they're my partners they're also my friends my counterparts are my friends and they were calling me offering support offering what we needed and in many instances uh like you know from ATF I knew I needed additional bomb support because we thought we had explosives and you can't ever have enough bomb techs because that takes a long time to work through those problems uh, and, and then, you know, from DHS headquarters, uh, we've got a local rep from their main office who's really their, kind of their chief medical officer. Uh, so I just asked him to come be be with us uh, to provide support and potential uh, communication uh, back to Washington for his headquarters so that, you know, I'm dealing with my headquarters, he can deal with his. Uh, and then HSI was really helpful uh, bringing leadership out um, not overwhelming us with manpower, but bringing leadership out to help us through the, all the immigration issues we were encountering. Now, the challenging self-deployments, though, did occur, and, and this is something for people to expect and think about how to handle when politicians, community leaders, um, faith community leaders, and others who have a stake in this crisis, a legitimate stake in this crisis, uh, the state and federal elected officials, local elected officials, they want to be they want to be close to the crisis. So Chief Miller and I spent some time figuring out how to deal with that, where to sequester those people. We don't want them in our command post, right? Um, and we don't want them to have access to our information uh, because we don't want that getting out and inhibiting our ability to do the job. So we put a plan together. We put them in Colleyville City Hall. We actually went and briefed them at about 8 p.m. at night, gave them as much of a briefing as we could give them, uh, gave them more information than they were getting on the news uh, and, and kind of Put them at ease that you know we we were working this situation with all available resources and that we would get back to them as soon as possible 
just coincidentally or, or as as it occurred immediately after that meeting we quickly went back to the school command post and that's when we when we uh changed directions and, and uh things started moving very quickly but i think finding a good place to put them um where they don't feel like you got them in a box somewhere but and then giving them some information that they're not seeing on the news but also not information that's going to ruin your investigation or could potentially in this case endanger the lives of hostages if if they get out and start talking about it. Uh, great insight, SEC Desarna. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Chief Miller, back to you. Um, uh, Rabbi Charlie mentioned active shooter training received from the Secure Community Network. Was the Colleyville Police Department engaged in that training? And how did it prove beneficial? And what do you recommend for other police departments and communities? That's a great question, Vince. Um, I, I don't believe we were involved in that specific training with the Secure Community Network uh, as they were delivering the training. But Congregation Beth Israel has reached out to us on numerous occasions, and we have provided active shooter training for that uh, congregation, including for the rabbi. Um, they have also received additional training. It's my understanding from the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, uh, and Secure Community Network. And so I believe they were really aggressive in seeking that type of training. Um, you know, most of the curriculum, we we teach both the FBI's model, which also is the DHS model, and the alert model. They're very similar. Uh, if you, they have a mantra, both of them have their own mantras. One is run, hide, fight, and one is avoid, deny, defend. Um, but if, if you look at the FBI model, um, I just want to read that to you because I think uh, it, it's insightful. And this is a, when you're talking about if you can't run and you can't hide, but you must fight, and really only as a last resort if your life is in imminent danger, the, the points on that slide are attempt to incapacitate the shooter, act with physical aggression and throw items at the shooter, attack the weapon or the shooter's ability to kill, and you must fight like your life depends on it because it does. Clearly, Rabbi Charlie and the, the other congregants that were in the synagogue with him took a play right out of that playbook. Um, and he said again on multiple occasions that he credits this training with giving him the tools to escape safely. Uh, and so I think the learning point here is that if you don't have an instructor actively engaged in providing that curriculum to your community, to your faith-based community, to other organizations in your community, you probably should. Um, this information, and I don't overstate this, we saw it on Saturday, this information can really save lives. Thanks again to both of you for your leadership and for sharing your perspective and insight with us today. This has been part one of a two-part conversation inside the congregation Beth Israel hostage taking. A discussion with Chief Michael Miller of the Colleyville, Texas Police Department and Special Agent in Charge of the FBI's Dallas Field Office, Matthew DeSarno.